I'm Travis Bader, and this is the Silver Core Podcast. Join me as I discuss matters related to hunting, fishing, and outdoor pursuits with the people and businesses that comprise the community. If you're new to Silver Core, be sure to check out our website, www.silvercore.ca, where you can learn more about courses, services, and products that we offer, as well as how you can join the Silver Core Club, which includes 10 million in North America-wide liability insurance to ensure you are properly covered during your outdoor adventures. So today I'm sitting down with Matt Mendel, who is a connoisseur of watches, knives, firearms, and just so happens to be the general manager and partner in Wanstalls, a premium firearms retailer in Maple Ridge, British Columbia. Matt, welcome to the Silver Core Podcast. Thank you for having me. What an intro. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I worked on that a little bit. There you go. So Wanstalls, you know, I've been watching what you guys have been doing for a long time. You guys are involved everywhere. I see you involved with shooting matches. In fact, there was one just this last weekend, I think it was a precision rimfire match out in Merritt. Uh, you're getting rave reviews all over the internet for customer service and for you carry products that other people aren't carrying. H- how did this come to be? Because I've, I haven't always had one stalls on my radar. Um, but for the last number of years now, you guys just seem to be pushing further and further into the, uh, the top of the end of what people are talking about in, in firearms retailers. Oh, well, thank you for the very nice compliment there. Um, yeah, no, the, uh, Wanstalls has been around, uh, in one form or another, uh, in Maple Ridge here since 1973. Um, it, it's been a gun store, outdoor store and the original owner, Tony Wanstalls, uh, and his brother ran it, um, in 2000 and he's going to get mad at me, but in 2006, <laughs> I believe, uh, my partner, Craig Jones left his job and actually purchased Wanstalls. So Wanstalls was like a kind of a sleepy town gun shop at that time. It was, you know, they had like a few rifles in stock and you'd go in for your hunting season and say, I need a box of 30 odd six. And he would be like, no problem. I'll order it. And it'll be here in two weeks, you know, one box of (laughs) federal blue box or whatever it was. Um, and when Craig, my partner took it over and Craig is a hardcore gun guy. Like he loves firearms, all different types. And he built the business into an actual true gun shop that stocked the coolest stuff that, you know, we could really get our hands on. Totally. Uh, Yeah. So 06, uh, how old would have you been at that point? In 2006, I just graduated high school and I started my first job, um, at a gun store somewhere else. So when did you get involved with Wanstalls? Um, in 2013, I was working for Canada Ammo at the time. Yeah. And, um, they ended up approaching me through, they knew me through Canada Ammo and, uh, offered me a job. So it was kind of more in the direction I wanted to be in where it was, um, the product I was really excited to, um, be selling and, you know, bringing in was more so what they were doing. So over I went. So you just went from an employee to partner. I did. Yeah. Yeah. I started. At the bottom, the worst, like the absolute bottom of the bottom, I, uh, they originally brought me on to do, uh, get their social media going. Uh, okay. Because. Because you're young and you're hip. Yeah. I was young and hip. Apparently my, my now wife probably didn't taught me more than I knew. Um, (laughs) 
but, uh, yeah, they brought me on and I was kind of just like a floater to start. Like they were just like, yeah, post some stuff on social media. I had this, like, it was essentially like a, like a bar stool yeah. with another bar stool. And that was like my desk with my laptop on it. And I would do like <laughs> over in the corner of the gunsmithing room, just like a little internet troll doing posts and stuff like that. So. So did you find that that really helped propel Juan Stalls, the, the social media side? Yeah. Social media, when, uh, we first started it, it, it was a slow burn getting it started. Yeah. Um, but once it took off, um, it was like, it's now probably one of the biggest parts of our business beyond anything as far as advertising. Really? Yeah. And getting, uh, getting the product and getting everything out to customers is definitely our Instagram and Facebook are our two biggest right. assets. See, I'm, I'm wondering if, cause I get asked all the time from people saying, I love firearms. I want to make this my business. I looked over and I saw so-and-so doing a business and I think I could do it, but a little bit different. So I'm in my own new niche market and sitting down with you and looking at the success that you and Juan Sils have had over the years. I'm wondering if this can be a little bit of how to for people to or an insight into the firearms industry. Like yeah, how sure. does somebody go from being an employee to being an owner? And I mean, I'm looking at your watch here. I mean, it's, uh, you've got a nice watch, Cle you. clearly an efficient audio yeah. <laughs> here. Um, there, there is a path in place. H how did you move your way through that? Yeah. Um, so I've been in retail in one way or another since I was about 12. My parents owned a, a bookstore. Hmm. Um, and slave labor goes along with your family owning <laughs> any sort of business, I suppose. So I was always working there, stocking stuff out and helping customers and stuff. And then, um, when I graduated high school, I just, I knew that college wasn't for me. Mm. Um, I just, I was done with people telling me what to do and how to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, so I went straight into the workforce. Um, my dad has been selling cars for over 40 years and he was like, ma'am, you can be successful like me, son, come sell cars. And like now, you know, 13, 14 years later, that was terrible advice. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't know what father wants a son to go sling used cars Ooh. on a lot, but, uh, anyways, that's where I went Yeah, and it was all well and good for a little while, but you know, I slowly came to the realization there that, um, I didn't, I do love sales, but I don't like pressuring people into sales and like. I want to sell somebody something they want, mm -hmm. not something they need. Like that's like a, oh, my car broke down. I have to buy another car, right? Mm. Like, that's not an awesome experience for anyone. You know? totally. So I just knew that, that my time there was limited and I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, but I knew that that was not it. Um, in the meantime, I got my pal while I was working there. I've been obsessed with guns since I was a little kid. Um, cap guns, pellet guns, you know, all the stuff. Sure. All of us loved. Sure. Um, goes bang. Yeah. Yeah. And that was my real first kind of hobby I ever had. You know, I was, uh, at that point I was, I think I was turning my twenties and, um, I was just like, oh my, like I was just enthralled with everything about guns. And it wasn't just the fact they were guns and guns are cool. Like, you know, watching mm. all the action movies growing up, it was the mechanical aspect of them. It was just something I picked up on that mm. I could take any gun apart and put it back together and it still worked. <laughs> you know, you not like the watches, right? Yeah, exactly. Or like an iPhone <laughs> or like anything, right? Like it was just one of those things that clicked for me and I just became absolutely obsessed with firearms and owning as many as I could get and mm. trying them all out and everything from mill serps to modern, um, stuff, hunting rifles, 22s, like anything I could get my hands on. 
Um, so I ended up actually leaving, um, the car sale thing and, um, I was just kind of chilling at home, my dad's basement, like, yeah, this is awesome. This is the life. And then (laughs) my girlfriend and now wife, Brittany, she's like, you gotta probably get something going here. And I was like, well, I can't, you know, in my typical young guy, you know, I'm not going to work for the man. Like, you know, I'm not, you know, I I had to follow my dream. Right. Mm -hmm. But the reality, the fact is, um, you're not going to be top dog out of the box. Um, I started trying to open my own business, um, doing outdoors and knife stuff, like, you know, packs and gear and stuff Mm. like that. And I slowly came to the realization that like, I had a lot to learn and that's very humbling in your twenties. Right. Totally. Like that's, well, how old were you when you started that? Uh, I was, I was right around 20 years old. So young. Super young. Yeah. Right? So like, at a point where it's okay for you to fail and yeah. regroup and try again. And yeah. So I, the business, I just quickly realized that if you don't know the right people and you don't have connections and I'm not saying like connections as far as like, um, other people in the industry, I'm talking about connections as in like people who don't want to rip you off when you want to build a website mm-hmm. or anything like that. Right. That quickly became, um, apparent that I had a lot to learn about proper business dealings and mm. that was that. So I went and got a part-time job at, um, the local gun store out in Port Coquitlam there at the time, it was Blue Line mm-hmm. Solutions. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I just started there and I was like, now I'm working the gun industry. And the whole, the reality of the fact is the only reason why I even got a job there. I was like, I want a discount on guns because I'm buying so many, <laughs> right? Like, it, you know, I'm like, it's, I, was like, I don't even care if I get a paycheck really. I just. Got the you know, discount. Yeah. I wanted a discount. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I started there and, um, that was a really interesting learning experience because I had worked retail. So, you know basic stuff like working the tills and, you know, shop maintenance and stuff like that. That's easy. It was more so the government aspect of it and uh, Uh the firearms aspect and being safe as far as who you're handling, handing guns to and all that kind of stuff. And Mm -hmm. so we started there and yeah, that was, I I worked there part-time for a bit, um, learned, learned a lot, um, both business-wise and firearms-wise. Um, and then decided to part ways okay. with, um, blue line. Yeah. Um, did learn there. I, um, there was two kind of partners in that business. One was, uh, Joe Delask. Right. I specifically remember I was working with Joe one day and I would, I always pick up on things with people that I like. I mm-hmm. always remember like very key moments with people who make a difference. Mm-hmm. And I remember the one thing I really picked up and took away from Blue Line. I was working with Joe one day and he was just working like a madman, um, to get product out from a distributor. And he's mm-hmm. like, and his whole, and his whole reasoning was it's about getting the product out to the customer, like, cause it's cool mm-hmm. and people have been waiting for this stuff. And, um, that really struck me as like. Yeah. Customer is number one. We're all in this because we love firearms. So it's always, you know, you always have to keep in mind that yes, it is a business, but at the end of the day, you, you're doing this cause you love it. Mm-hmm. So I always remember that with Joe, that his, um, work ethic really inspired me to be like, yeah, customer first, mm-hmm. customer number one, worry about everything, make sure the, cu- after the fact, make sure the customer is serviced and I'm very happy. So. You know, I've got a Joe story if you want to hear it. Yeah, for sure, man. So when, back before Silvercore 
training happened, I, I had Silver Court Gunworks and it was my thought that I would be doing gunsmithing for every Joe Blow who comes through and, <laughs> and the, had, the ultimate dream. The <laughs> ultimate dream, right? That's uh, every kid wants to grow up to yeah. be a gunsmith. And I was loving it. I was learning a lot because every person who came in came with a different firearm and a different, uh, different issue or different problem. And being young, I think it was 18, 19, like when, when I started that, uh, everyone's expecting a discount or a deal and everybody wants to pay. Yeah. And they, they all want to pay you in like freezer burnt meat from yeah. five-year-old. Here's a uh, six pack of beer and a, you know. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, anyways, uh, it was fun learning a lot. And one of the things I got into was, uh, refinishing and I was doing bluing and parkerizing and, uh, manganese and zinc phosphating and. I was having an issue getting some chemicals across the border. So I thought, well, how hard can this be? And I went to a, uh, to a lab and I got a, a qualitative and quantitative analysis of, of a, uh, of a batch of chemicals. And I tried to reverse engineer it myself. And there is a, a fellow who brought in a firearm that he wanted to have parkerized. And so I prepped the metal, got everything as it ought to be. And I made up my own solution based off of the essential reverse engineered <laughs> list here. And, and I, and I used a, a test piece first and it came out looking pretty good. Right. Mm -hmm. And in, in this solution, a little bit of nickel helped the adhesion of the manganese to the metal. And, and there is, uh, I think it was fluoric acid that was also in here as well. Anyways. On the carbon content on the test piece, it came out looking pretty good. On the firearm I put in, the customer's firearm, uh, it was just the barrel that he wanted done. So I, I put the barrel and it comes out and I'm looking at it. I'm like, I'm not happy with how this looks, right? And so I, uh, I dip it in a little bit longer, longer than I normally would. And I take it out and it's like, ah, oh, it's not the right color. It's not what the guy will want. And I try it a little bit longer and I take it on and say, well, you know what? I'm going to regroup. I'm going to have to tell the client here that we're going to have to wait for this chemicals to come in. And I took the barrel and I went to thread it into the receiver and the thing slid in and out oh, of no. the receiver. The chemical composition that I'd put together was strong enough to have eaten the metal to such a point. <laughs> and like you look at it and it looked fine, but it, you didn't realize that everything had shrunk so much. And like, that was as a person working on firearms, I think anyone who says they don't make mistakes is lying to you. Literally impossible. But the people who are really good know how to fix their mistakes, exactly. right? And that was the first mistake I wasn't able to fix. And so I went to Joe, cause I said, look at, I had this issue. I'm going to have to, do you have any spare barrels around? I'm going to have a go at it again. And he looked around and he says, yeah, actually I got this quality barrel. It's a spare. You can have it take it. It's yours. Right. And in fact, it's not chambered in the right caliber, but here's a chamber reamer. I'll lend it to you. You bring it back without any dings or nicks, not a problem, no charge. Right. So I was able to get the customer up and running. Uh, if I don't know if he even listens to this podcast, but I think his son might, because his <laughs> son actually does work with us, but that would be, uh, that'd be Randy box, uh, <laughs> firearm there. Sorry about that, Randy, but, but we got you going in the end. Uh, got a new barrel out of the deal. Man. And he got a new barrel out of it. Nice quality barrel out of it. Chambered tight, beautiful. Right. But that always stuck with me because Joe, at that time I was doing more and more work and he was still in the business of doing work for the general public, albeit also manufacturing. And 
to a degree, I could have been viewed as competition. For sure. But instead he says, not a problem, Travis, come on in. Let me help you out. Mm-hmm. So that always stuck with me about Joe. So I. Joe's salt of the earth, man. I love that guy. He is. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you no, there. No worries at all, man. So, so where did that take you next? Yeah. So after that, um, left blue line there and, um, I was on Canadian gun nuts. I'd, I'd taken a job as a, um, a concierge at apartment buildings downtown and like, no one wants that job, man. I still work for <laughs> the job. Ever. Just a bunch of whiny, rich people just complaining about everything. Anyway, so I needed to get out of there. Um, it was a good fill in job while, you know, I had to pay my bills. Um, and then, um, Canada Ammo posted, um, on Canadian gun nuts that they were looking for someone. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, yeah, man. I was like, I, I got to work in the gun industry. This job working midnight sucks. So. Mm. Went, uh, submitted my resume to Canon Ammo, uh, got a job there as, um, I started there as just a shipper, mm. like just no, no responsibility other than stuff in box out the door. Sure. Um, and, uh, it was a pretty intense out of the box cause Canon Ammo, um, at the time and still to this day, they have, they're very skew heavy on stuff. So. Mm-hmm you know, you get, you have a guy who's ordering 10 different types of NC star stuff and they're all in tiny boxes and, you know, it looks like the matrix scene where their walls are flying down. Right. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was awesome. And then what was really cool about, uh, Can-Am was obviously like at the time they were bringing in, um, a lot of Norinco product. Right. Um, so you walk into the back and there'd be a two story thing tall of, uh, M305s or, you know. 762 by 39 and, um, so yeah, that was, um, I would call that my real first, um, gun business job where I was like, okay, I'm amongst true gun people. Mm. Uh, Chris Akana Ammo is. He's awesome. He's awesome. And he's like a true gun guy. Like he's, he's actually probably more of a gun guy than anyone I've ever met. That dude Mm -hmm. goes down rabbit holes. I didn't even know existed with guns. Oh, I still call him up from time to time to pick his brain. And he's, he's a sharp cookie. Yeah. He's awesome. Um, and, um, yeah. So, and at that time it was lots of Norinco and I just remember, um, at, at some point they said, Hey, you know, you mind like taking care of the warehouse as well, you know, just making sure it's clean and stuff. So then there I was essentially in like the Indiana Jones, you know, <laughs> looking for the guns arc. and yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like it was awesome. And then, you know, one day, like, you know, a 53 foot container, just crammed, jam packed full of guns would show up, but you know, it'd be, you know, all M305s mm-hmm. and you'd have to hand bomb the whole thing. And it like, you know, for example, replace that with anything else like, uh, oranges or sure. cardboard boxes, worst job on earth. Yeah. A M- lot of work. M305s. Awesome job. <laughs> Like best well, just job a ever. smell. Right? Yeah, exactly. And like knowing that like this just came directly from the place that made it to you yeah. and it's just cool stuff, man. Yeah. Like it's rad. Um, so yeah. Um, so I worked there for a good while. Um, and then I kind of got up to, we did, uh, I took over dealer sales for them as well. So I was doing all their, uh, dealer sales for a while. Um, and a gentleman there uh, named Paul really took me under his wing, um, and really explained to me the finer points of. Um, not just business and like organization and all that kind of stuff, but also how to deal with people on a, on a good level. Like again, reinforcing that thing that Joe, you know, that I picked up off Joe, which is like customer, 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 Mm -hmm. like 
These are all your, your cohorts. They're all gun nuts. You're all, you know, having right. a good time. Right. Um, so yeah. And I learned a ton there, um, both mechanically with firearms, cause I would be working on, you know, some warranty stuff or whatever, mm-hmm. the shipping aspect of it, you know, shipping routes and who to call and all that kind of stuff. Uh, organization, cause boy, howdy did that, you know, you had to have that place organized or you would know where nothing was. Yeah. They got a lot of volume. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah. So I just learned, that's where I really got, cut my teeth as far as the gun industry. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah. And at that point we were just sitting there one day and, um, uh, lawn stalls at Post and Nad and said, Hey, like, you know, we need somebody to come and fill in and just for shits and giggles. Cause I was, uh, a long time customer of Wan stalls. Yeah. Um, I just said, Hey, you know, at the time I was like, Hey, it's Matt, blah, blah, blah. You know, jokingly said, yeah, how much does it pay? And they said, uh, they responded back with come meet us tonight. Really? Uh, yeah. At the Billy Minor pub, which is our, that is our bunker of solitude there. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I was like, uh, okay. So it wasn't really like. I wasn't even looking for a job. I was just curious. Um, and so I met them there and I immediately knew that I was like, yeah, these, these are my guys, you know, Craig specifically, um, immediately treated me like family. Um, And he had, he knew me from buying there, but like, um, yeah, just like it was the right vibe for me to, I was like, yeah, these guys are cool. And so anyways. We had some beers, they made me an offer and I was just like, oh my God, I was like, I can't, I just got my first apartment with my wife, um, everything. And I was just like, I just started paying my bills properly. Like I can't, <laughs> I can't like bounce off another job. You know what I mean? Right. Cause it's once you're, once you're somewhere and you, you feel secure, then you, you kind of. That's a trap though, isn't it? It is a trap. Right. And then, you know, I was still young enough at the time where I was like, you know, like, like, let's go, let's do this. Right. Yeah. So I went home that night, granted after a couple of beer and, um, <laughs> told my wife, I was like, yeah, Wassel's made me this like rad offer and I think I'm going to take it. And she's like, no, you're not taking it. She's like, we just got this apartment. She's like, we're sitting on lawn chairs. Like, you know what I mean? And then I was just I totally like, oh. don't you mean? um, and then I was like, oh, okay. And then she kind of talked me out of it that night. And then, um, on the drive to work the next day, I was just like, man, I was just like, it wasn't just the offer. It was, um, it was the people there, um, the vibe I got off of everyone I was talking to. And yeah. on, on, honestly, the products that Juan Stalls was selling at the time lined up with more of my interests, mm. um, you know, to, uh, to be a hundred percent, um, honest about it. Right. So I just thought about, it. I was like, man, it'd be really cool to get other stuff discounted that I'm more into, you know what I mean? Like, you know, yeah. I have a wider selection, not as deep. Like I don't, like, yeah, I didn't need 1500 M305s, right? There's only right. so many greasy M305s you can handle before you go home and you're soaked in Cosmoline every yeah. day. Um, so yeah, I just, on my way there, I just, uh, decided essentially that I was good to go. Um, and then had a quick conversation and yeah, I started the next week. Um, at Wanstalls in my little, my little hovel of a corner. <laughs> so zero business training, a sec, aside from the school of hard knocks. Yeah. So learning as you go. Yep. Uh, what were some of the biggest challenges that you'd found at least to that point anyways, because when you started at Wanstalls, you're basically strictly doing social media or when mm-hmm. did you start as a partner? No, no, no. I definitely didn't start as a partner. It took me almost, uh, 10 years to become partner there. Right. 
Um, yeah, no, I mean, the biggest thing is ego when you're that age. Mm. I mean, even now, I mean, I'm only 33, like you always got to check your ego at the door because, mm -hmm. um, all that's ever going to do is make it, make it take longer to figure out the answer to whatever you're trying to, you know, achieve whatever you're trying to accomplish. Um, so that was a big one. Uh, and two, just learning how to deal with different people and different personality types. I'm a very, anyone who knows me, anyone who's met me, I'm so blunt and honest and probably to my own, probably not when I shouldn't be, I still am. Um, mm. I'm very upfront and honest and I've got, uh, I don't have a very good filter. Um, but. That could, that can play to your benefit too though. It right? can and it does. Right. Um, but I feel like only in certain positions it does. Um, maybe as a manager, as an owner, I feel like, yeah, that's how you get information across is curt and short and simple. Mm. Um, but also a lot of people don't respond well. Like everyone responds to different types of things, right? Like, mm. uh, somebody can take that as you being upset with them or something like that. So it's always just, uh, that's something I struggle with to this day is yeah. understanding different personality types. And I do, I read as many books as I can and to try and be as understanding as I can, but the dickhead in me just. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't even know if it's dickhead, it's. At least when a person is blunt and curt, you know where you stand with them. Exactly. And there's no mincing of words, right? Right. Like if I say do A, there's no, there's no you confusing it with B. Right. Right. It's, yeah. And that's how I kind of look at it. Um, so yeah. And, um, also to the industry is an interesting industry and, um, the industry is a very, when I started in the industry, it was just going away from like mom pa shops and it was becoming like lots of social media, lots of websites. I mean, mm. I don't know if you remember for online ordering back in the day, you could just get it from SR, right? you know, the old wholesale sports yep. guys in Alberta. That was your only that way was you could really online order anything, right? Well, nobody was online ordering. Everyone was very reluctant to take that next step. Yeah. And there was a lot of unanswered questions about it, like how to ship product legally, all that kind of stuff. Right. And mm -hmm. you know, for a mom and pa shop, which was essentially everyone at the time, mm -hmm. you don't want to take on that responsibility. Right. And you know, everyone just did their niche thing and you made their living, retired somewhere in the middle of nowhere and that was it. Right. Um, so essentially that the introduction of online. Yeah. Like that was a huge learning curve because now you've got all these shops and a lot of young people and different ideas all coming together. Right. And it was like a whole new world, right? Essentially like you've got kind of the new way of doing business. So like people who would, you know, historically have different types of businesses are now running gun shops mm -hmm. and bringing that you know, the internet, I know this sounds ridiculous, the internet with them <laughs> and Facebook and uh -huh. all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, at that time it was like a interesting new world of how to deal with stuff. So it was. Well, you guys really pushed the envelope. I think you guys are, if not the leader, one of the leaders for sure in moving things into the 21st century. Well, yeah. I mean, the biggest thing, um, every single one of our followers on all of our social media platforms is a hundred percent. Like those people clicked mm -hmm. on our page. We didn't pay a, a lot of companies, uh, both in the industry and in general, you just buy followers, right? And then you log on. It's it, never made sense to me. It has it. Cause you look on, it's like, oh wow, this page has got like 20,000 followers and you click 
you know, one of their posts and it's got zero, two, yeah, it's engagement. got two likes right. and you know, like a, in a poop emoji under it or something, right? Like it's, <laughs> and you're like, what? I don't get it. Right. But then you realize, oh, they actually have like 150 followers and right. you know, they purchased it. And the problem, and this is something I learned from Paul. The problem when you do that is it's hard to crawl back from it. Like once you realize it's a mistake, mm -hmm. it's really hard to undo that mistake. So yeah, we have just shy of 10,000 legitimate followers on Facebook. Um, Instagram is an interesting one. I think we're around 3000 on there. Uh, Instagram's algorithms for gun owners isn't the. It's the wrong platform for sure. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it can be tough from time to time, but, uh, we get a lot of, what I do like about it is we get a lot of real, uh, a lot of feedback from directly from our customers, not through some weird platform. Like I mm -hmm. straight up get messages from people asking me questions and they get direct answers as often as possible. I mean, it's, it's tough to filter through right. hundreds of messages a day, but, uh. Is that what you're getting? Yeah. Like, you know, on, we get quite a few, like enough to where, um, my wife answers a lot of stuff. You know, she's, she wants to get paid, but she's never getting paid. So, so. <laughs> is that your wife in the commercials? Yeah, that's my wife. And, uh, she, God bless her. She comes out and yeah, I don't know how she puts up with me, but yeah, that's her in the commercials and like that gift card one we did and stuff. Yeah. yeah that's her doing it. Those commercials are awesome. Thanks man. Yeah. Those are lots of fun. And like, that's a prime example is, you know, I, when we went into the TV aspect of things, I was like, I can't stand like the typical gun owner commercial or gun shop commercial where it's like a dude standing behind his counter and it's like, you know, ratata, I'm, you know, and then like a blast Calgary, Alberta or whatever part of the sure. world he lives in across the streets. It's like, there's only so much of that you can, you know, we all have guns in our store, mm -hmm. right? Like it, we all go to the same distributors for everything. So like, what's the point of telling people you sell, you know, guns, right? And yeah. why don't you have some fun with it? And like people realize that like, yeah, there's, it, it is fun. Are you scripting those yourself? Yeah, I do. Uh, I do a lot of the creative and yeah. then, uh, my friend Brent Nelson at, uh, Soapbox Studios. Okay. Helps me out with the filming. Yeah. Um, and he's awesome. Cause like, I have a hard time when it comes to like the image, I know what the image in my head of what I want something to look like, but I can't for the life of me explain it. And he mm. just gets me, he like instantly knows what I'm trying to explain. And I've tried to do it with other people and it just doesn't work. It's just, you know, it's you know, cool. So if people want to see them, I saw those commercials on Facebook, I think it yeah. was. Is that, do you have them compiled somewhere if yeah, people want if, to go through them? Um, I'm, yeah, we have them on our YouTube page. We had yeah. a YouTube page years ago. I tried to start a YouTube account for the store and it just turned into like this super cringy like, uh, you know, I realized at that time how much goes into editing and, mm -hmm. you know, all that kind of stuff. And I thought like, oh, you just throw a camera up and, you know, add some whiz bang to it and there you go. But right. it's a lot of work, even, you know, in here in the, the podcast studio, I'm just like, I mean, all these buttons and stuff, no idea how this works. <laughs> um, and it's a learning curve for sure. Yeah. So like our, I kind of deleted everything off our old YouTube page. Um, and then we just essentially put all of our commercials on our YouTube page. Okay. Um, Facebook, uh, we throw them on Instagram as well. And obviously, yeah, they're on wild TV. Yeah. Um, that's our main, main place where those go. Um, but yeah. Are you seeing, how, how are you measuring the engagement off of those? Um, honestly, it, so this is the a classic thing when it comes to advertising and old school guys, 
um, always say like, oh, you invest a thousand dollars, you need to get $3,000 out of it. And that means you're, and it's like, you can't, in today's world, it's impossible to mm -hmm. quantify that, right? Like, could, like, what are they going to come in with a, you know, a prize of a Cracker Jack box? And then you know that you're like, come on, like, you know, <laughs> you can't do that. What you do is essentially, um, you listen to people when you're talking to them and they say, man, I saw your commercials. They're really awesome or whatever. Like I love what you guys are doing and that's how you gauge your feedback mm. off of it. Right. And our commercials, they do great for us. And, you know, honestly, um, it's an, I like being creative and it's a creative outlet for me. Yeah. And, uh, I'm just curious to when, uh, wild TV is just going to say, Hey man, we can't air this one. Like, this is, <laughs> there's too many fart jokes in it or something like that. So. Well, the thing about your commercials is that people want to share them. They, yeah. They want to show them to other people because they're genuinely hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. The favorite one I did is actually not even a commercial is the, uh, liberal gun owner one. I don't know if you saw that. No, I don't think I've seen that one. All right. Well, I won't spoil it for you, but yeah. there's two flamethrowers in it. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, we didn't even put, we just did that for a fun one for social media. Um, and like, that was just an example. Like I was just like, we gotta do this video, man. Cause it's, it's going to be hilarious. So yeah, that one's, uh, that one's one of my favorites for sure. You know, uh, Colian Noir. Yeah. Okay. So he's got the seven types of people that you see at a gun range. Yeah. Hilarious. Does a wicked job with that. Yeah. You guys going to do something like that? Yeah, we could for sure. Seven yeah. types of people you see coming into your gun store. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be, that'd be a fun one actually. Yeah. That'd be, that'd be cool. Um, maybe not in voting season. But yeah, maybe I'll say, cause it's all, it's all anti Trudeau stuff right now, uh -huh. but uh, maybe we'll wait till after and we can have a different kind of crowd of people coming back in. Give it a few weeks. Yeah, exactly. Fingers crossed. Have you found that the crowd of people that you have coming in has substantially changed since, well, I don't know, um, but a year and a half ago? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's, uh, it's been crazy as far as that goes, like this, the, the, yeah. I've had like everything like, so when the pandemic, pan, whatever the COVID first sure. started there, I can't believe the types of people I had coming in. And I mean that as in like people I've never expected to see in a gun store. I had a mommy walking group come in with their babies and strollers and they were like, well, I have my pal, I've never used it before, but you know, blah, 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 here we go. And I'm like, what is happening right now? Is there still like, is right. something happening I'm not aware of? But yeah, it's been crazy. Like, um, the types of people we've been having coming in and the, like from different backgrounds and everything, it's awesome. You know, seeing people want to get educated about firearms and actually taking an active interest in them and right. And then, you know, once you become a firearms owner, because it's so tied to politics, right. You really start do paying attention to what's going on out there because it's just, it's part of your life. It affects you directly, right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, policies and stuff like that. So it's, it's not just about owning guns. I feel like having your gun license, um, really opens up your, your thought processes to, you know, other stuff that's going on in the world. You know, when COVID hit my mother-in-law, who is the last person who should ever have a firearm says, Trav. I'm really thinking I should get myself a firearm. Can you tell me what I got to do here? And I saw that was probably the aha moment for me when I really saw the shift in people. Cause that's one person who's always had a very negative view of firearms to all of a sudden thinking I'm scared and things are changing and maybe I should be a little more proactive about my own personal protection and self-defense. And that's the, uh, faux pas to talk about in Canada and yeah. the States. It's something that people talk about, there are sections in the criminal code that do permit for it and all the rest, but it's something that in the firearms community, 
nobody wants to talk about. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it's faux pas and I think it's more so depending on who's in power. Um, mm -hmm. but it's funny to see, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but, um, you know, as soon as you realize that, um, something serious can happen mm -hmm. and that, you know, you help might not be a phone call away, you know, every, you know, hardcore anti-gun this and anti-gun that they're, they're lining up to, to buy guns and like, that's okay. And I don't mind that. It's great. The more that are out there, the harder they are to take away. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, it's interesting that that's what it takes for people to open up their, um, mindset. You know what I mean? To, to do that. Whereas for me, you know, a gun to me is not this, you know, glowing sphere of, you know, no. hot energy or anything like that. It's just, it's a tool, you know, you hunt with it, you shoot it, it, it is what it is. If it's unloaded, it ain't going to do anything, mm -hmm. you know? So it's interesting the, in the past year and a half, the types of people we've been seeing and, um, what's really cool is them coming into the store and them realizing that it's like, it's not like the movies. We're not, we're some crotchety old gun store where, you know, we don't want to help people and stuff like that. We, yeah. we, we do take an interest in, you know, I call it our customer success in, you know, firearm ownership. So. Cool. Yeah, man. Well, with the, um, operating a firearms business is so heavily regulated. It's mm -hmm. a weird thing because it's so tightly controlled in some ways and so unbelievably gray in other ways. Yeah. I think you, I think you know a lot about that. Um, but yeah. I do know a lot <laughs> yeah. about that. It's insane, man. Like, um, and that's, what's really frustrating is that a lot of people like, like I'll just throw it out there. Like the, the ban that happened a year ago with the OIC, right? right? Like right. everyone thought like, oh my God, like, yay, rah, rah, rah. That was on the other, on the anti-gun side. And then like, you just like pick the top scab off that. Right. And mm -hmm. it's just utter. And I'm sorry for my French dog shit. Mm -hmm. Like you can tell that no thought or effort went into it. And it's the same thing. Like it is a tightly controlled industry, but there's not a lot of guidance from anyone as to like there's no one, two, three, four, five step as to, you know, what kind of security you need, what kind of, um, you know, what kind of records you need to keep and all this kind of stuff. It's like, here's the goal, figure out how to get there. And that's, can be really frustrating, um, in general, but it can also be very detrimental to new businesses opening up mm -hmm. and people who, you know, and the other thing too, province to province, um, you know, as you know, depending on who's doing inspections and all this kind of stuff, like the rules are different. Like mm -hmm. you can have one year, everything's great. The next year you're the worst gun store ever and you need to, you know, completely pull, tear everything apart and rebuild, you know, whatever aspect they're not happy with. Mm -hmm. So it can be really discouraging and, uh, it really can ruin, you know, to put it on the far end, I think it ruin a lot of people's lives. Does, so it really can. And I agree with that in the when it comes down to the ambiguity and the grayness of it, you can, just as a general firearms owner, people know you can call up, you can talk to one representative on one day oh, and yeah. get one answer and you can get a completely different answer on the next day. And yeah. they. Or it, just bloody checking a pal. Right. Validity. You know, you, you get three different answers or three different phone calls. Do I need their phone number? Do I need their address? Do I need their blood type? Do I need this? I, do I need the last five digits after the decibel? All this kind of stuff. And. 
you know, you can call one person with just a name and date of birth and a pal and they'll say yes or no. Then mm -hmm. the other person will say, no, you need this set of rules and then no, you need, you know, going down the line and it's, it's crazy. So from an individual owner standpoint, that's frustrating. Oh yeah. From a firearms business owner standpoint, this is your livelihood. Yeah, and and sure. one person's opinion on policy, not necessarily legislation or regulation, one person's opinion can make or break what you're doing until you find another opinion that's contrary or that, that. Yeah. My mortgage doesn't get paid. You right. know what I mean? It's not, for me, it's not like, oh, I don't get to go, you know, shoot my 22 this weekend. For mm -hmm. me, I, it puts food on my table. It's how I pay my mortgage. It's everything. Does that sit in the back of your head? Oh, constantly. Yeah. How can it not? Right. I totally. Mean, and especially when it comes to things like that should be so simple and cut and dry as Paul, as firearm policy, um, that it's interpreted 20 different ways by 20 different people and no one really knows the answer. It's like, as I just said that it sounds insane, but if you're a Canadian gun owner, you know. Oh, it is insane. <laughs> yeah. And not only that, it can affect your livelihood. It can affect your personal freedom as well. For sure. A hundred percent. There was, um, a gentleman sure shot in Poco. I don't know if you remember that shop there. Yeah, actually I've probably got a file here that, uh, that he handed over to me because. Yeah, he's one of the nicest dudes. So nice. And he grew up, uh, my wife grew up, uh, in the same complex as he was. And, uh, when he opened Sure Shot, the, that's what it was called, right? Sure Shot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember like walking in that place. I was like, this is the dopest gun store I've ever right. walked into. I was like, he had everything badass that every gun store should have had. He had bulk ammo. He had tons of pan guns. So, and him and his wife are the nicest people, mm -hmm. right? And that, and you know, his story is a prime example. It is so sad. Yeah. And it's ridiculous. And the worst part about it is he was a sacrificial lamb at a point where, uh, gangs and, um, you know, shootings were happening and he was just, they needed somebody to, um, I don't know, like make a headline and he never, like, yeah, it was just super sad and he never did anything wrong. And that's an example of worst case scenario, obviously. Somewhere floating around in a secure filing cabinet, I've got, I was asked to opine on his case at one point. Mm -hmm. And so I got to look at the ins and outs of what happened to him and to his wife. And it was extremely troubling to look at the process that he was put through. Now he was an immigrant, I believe he did, did he, he had full Canadian citizenship. I'm oh, I don't know the, I don't know the extent of that part. Right. So I'm looking through the video clips that were provided over of the, the takedown and the raid. Um, essentially, uh, he was being accused of, um, a whole bunch of things, mm -hmm. like a whole bunch of things, none of which had any, any, uh, value that I could see. Or like basis in reality. Or any basis in reality. Yeah. Uh, this was during a time when, uh, magazine importation was permitted, provided it was, uh, pinned and, uh. Yeah. And I don't know, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Wasn't that just like a paper, like it was like a flip of the switch paperwork kind of mm -hmm. thing that happened to him. Like it was. He had it as a condition on his business yeah, license that he's was. able to take these things in. And so what happened from my recollection here, mm -hmm. uh, was that. I think it was a uh, relative of his had shipped some magazines up from the States up to a, um, like a UPS store or something like this mm -hmm. to him. They were all properly pinned. They're all illegal, everything as it ought to be. There may have been 
something overlooked on the export side from us. I'm mm -hmm. not sure. I'm not, a, I don't know the us laws in and out, but not, not, none of that was being alleged. Mm -hmm. All I recall is looking back on it saying like, if they wanted to try and make something, maybe they could try and do something there, mm -hmm. but it went to the, I think it was a UPS postal store, wherever it was. I came to the customs first. Customs looks at it, please say, send it on through. Yeah. And we'll send one of our guys to act as a post office person. And so when he comes through, then we can verify and we can do a bit of a, uh, uh, a takedown. Anyways, they do that and they don't take him down at the store. They give him the stuff. He's got this package, which arguably he's got no idea what's in it. Mm -hmm. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. I don't know. Um, and they take him down at the front of his store saying that he's now importing magazines. Well, that was a valid business condition that he had on his license. They yeah. then lock him up. I believe they detained his wife for a bit. They went yeah. to his house. Yeah. They raided his house and they're like, he's got a sawed off shotgun. And then they had, they had it on the front page of the paper and it was right. just like a regular. An shotgun. armor piercing ammunition. Oh God. Right. Yeah. All of these things, none of which is illegal. Yeah. None of the points that he did and the crown council that was involved, I happen to know that crown council and I've had numerous conversations with him, um, offered him some deals mm -hmm. and said, tell you what, we'll make it all go away. You just agree to this. We can make it all go away. You agree to that. We'll make it all yeah, go away. And the deals got diminishing more and more till finally they came out and they said, they essentially held his wife hostage, his wife who's having medical problems and like they ruined him. Yeah. They ruined this one firearms business owner due to his lack of understanding of the Canadian legal process and bully tactics. Guilty through due process. Right. It's something that floats around in our industry quite a, quite a bit. Right. You're not guilty of anything. You're guilty through the process is what makes you guilty. It makes you broke, makes you unable to do anything else. Right. So yeah, that's, it's an unfortunate part of what we do. Mm -hmm. you know? So what do you do? to protect yourself from that? Oh man. I mean, you've always got to stay on top of, you know, any changes in legislature. And we, I've always had a thing like always go above and beyond. Mm -hmm. If they, if the goalpost is a hundred yards, go 300 yards. Like, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like always go above and beyond that way. There's no question like that. It's all about intent, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's what everything boils down to in the, in the legal world. Um, and if you show intent that you were doing the right thing and you wanted to do the right thing, it covers you to an extent. I mm -hmm. mean, at the end of the day, it's ultimately up to crown and whoever else to do what they want to do, but it's always about covering your ass and just doing as much as you possibly can. Um, does that alienate the client base? Cause you're going to have client base. You're like, this is a bare minimum that you have to meet and why are you going above? Yeah. I mean, we, we have certain things we will abide by and like, or not abide by, but like certain measures we do take as a business that's not forced upon us. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's certain things we just like that we've, that have been requested of us, um, that we just flat out won't do. And like a big mm -hmm. one is obviously non-restricted, um, stuff like that. It's, it's not required. It's none of our business, you know, move on. It's not like, uh, I know some companies do record non-restricted stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's all about the ebb and flow of what works for your company and what you're, you know, and what you're essentially what you're willing to die on the cross on mm -hmm. is what it boils down to, right? Like something, something, you know, is either right or wrong and you go down that route and our customers are always covered. So mm -hmm. there's never a case where 
we're going to take advantage of our customers in any sort of fashion whatsoever. Totally. Yeah, we do what we can on our end and Jesus take the wheel and the rest of it. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, dying on the crossbow, some of these things are, sometimes you look at it and you might have your own personal political feelings on something, but then yeah. you have to take into account the repercussions of what those feelings will have for you, your wife. Do you have kids? No, no kids. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and your coworkers and those who work with you and yeah. you have to start trying to juggle all of that. I mean, it's not for the faint of heart. Oh, it's definitely not. To get into business. There's a reason why my solitude spot is a bar. <laughs> <laughs> it is not for the faint of heart to get into a firearms business. Oh, definitely not. Um, but if you follow your heart, like what you're talking about, what would you, what advice would you give to somebody who says, look at, I really want to get into this. Like for me personally, I tell my kids, if you want to get into a firearms business, that's up to you. You're on your own though. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that it's not something that I'm going to support because there are easier ways to generate a living, but it might not necessarily, necessarily align with what your passions are. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I learned pretty quick on, um, that, um, you know, my mother died when I was very young. So, or when I was young, so I knew that I did not want to live a life like in some mundane box filing paperwork. I knew that that's a risk I was willing to take. Mm. Um, but as far as like somebody wanting to get into it, um, always find somebody who's smarter than you and just learn as much as you can from them and be humble about what you thought the answer was versus what reality is. Mm. Um, and be able to accept that. And like a prime example is like, it's hard, like getting approvals and licensing and, you know, the inspections and everything to open up a business and, you know, you have to jump through the hoops and it's expensive. Mm. Um, and it is what it is. But at the end of the day, if firearms is your passion, then, I mean, who cares? I mean, it's, it is what it is. You're either doing it or you're not. And it, you right. know, the strong will get through it and the guys who weren't meant to do it, you know, they'll be doing something else. Right? They'll find an excuse. Like yeah. it was a recession or yeah, exactly. it was COVID. It's exactly. Right. There's always an excuse not to do what you really want mm -hmm. in life. And I, I'm very lucky and don't get me wrong. Like, um, you know, I will say I, I worked my way through it, but, or worked my way to where I'm at. But, um, you know, it is possible to do, um, you just got to grind it out. And if you really love what you're doing, then it's, it never really feels like work. You know what I mean? Even on right. like the worst days ever, like we always say it in the shop, like, you know, still better than filing paperwork. Like Don't even work. if you're having the worst day, it's like, yeah, man, I'm still, but it's still better than, you know, a mundane job where you're not passionate about what you're doing and, you know. You know, from a, uh, from the scariness side of operating a firearms business where the, the election happening, what, next week? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it could, um, well, what this one comes out, the election happening probably that day. Yeah. Um, um, could change everything for you. Yeah, for sure. Can. Uh, how would you, I, I've always looked at it as, you know, if they outlaw firearms, maybe only the businesses have firearms. There's still a business model in place. There's always yeah. something that you can jump to. If they say, Hey. Uh, you can only use indoor ranges. Okay. Set up an indoor range. Hey, yeah. these guns are illegal. Great. Get it on the business license, work within the framework and then have, there's always a business model regardless of how, uh, things work, but it does get 
harder and harder. How would you lever- pivot essentially? Oh yeah. That's a, we actually, cause I funny. know you've thought about this. Oh yeah. I mean, you have to, right. I mean, it is what it is. Like honestly, like one day someone could just flip a switch and it's mm-hmm. not just like, oh, you, you can't even pivot your toast. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we'll talk about it in two breaths there. I mean, okay. the first one, they flip the switch, guns are, guns are gone mm. like overnight, like hand them in, jackbooted thugs knocking on your door, all that fun stuff. Right. Uh, the crew of guys I have, um, between my Craig, my partners, Craig and Marco, um, and the guys who work for me, like they're my family and mm-hmm. whatever I'm doing, they're coming with me, whether it's another business venture or whatever, um, I'm making sure that my guys are coming with me because they're, they're what makes the shop. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, know, we can do as much as we can ordering and stuff like that at the end of the day. Like I can't run the shop by myself. Craig can't run the shop. Marco can't run the shop. You Mm -hmm. gotta have a solid group of guys with you. Um, in regards to pivoting, I mean, you know, I, we, you know, you could pivot to, um, outdoor stuff, you know, like Mm -hmm. that's kind of our main, like that would be our thing, right? Like I'm a gear guy. I'm a gear nut. I love gear back. Like I got this ridiculous backpack collection. Yeah. I just, I don't know what it is, man. I just buy backpack after backpack and (laughs) you know, little, like just different stuff, right? Like I got the, this new mystery ranch one, uh, that came in with, uh, that's like the wax canvas. Yeah. I just thought that was just like, that's it, man. That's That's the backpack forever. Right. Before that was an Arteryx and all this kind of stuff and knives and out, you know, that's other aspects of being gun owners, right? Like you're always, you're usually outdoors and we're doing something in regards to that and like making outdoors comfortable, Mm. you know, like chairs and stuff like that and cookware. And so we'd probably do something like that, but honestly, like it would have to be like worst case scenario. Like I, like guns are my thing. Yeah. Guns. I, I live, breathe and die guns. So. I, I get a sense that you're kind of like me in so far as I'm extremely obstinate. I'm, I can be extremely, um, strong willed and pig headed about things. Yeah. And as I look at the, the gun path, um, there's always a way to make it work. Oh yeah. But maybe taking a bit of a step back and saying, is there a better way that we can service the customers and service a client base? And as opposed to just trying to fight the current head on, can we yeah. ride this current in order to. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's so many, this is the thing, and this has been in the past, like five years, there is some amazing Canadian companies. This is the thing when I was from the start of the business, I never understood why there weren't more Canadian companies building guns. Mm-hmm. Like from scratch, right? Cause you don't, if it's non-restricted, then the FRT becomes an opinion, mm-hmm. right? And stuff like that. And then, so you got these new companies like, you know, um, Kodiak Defense. Yep. You've got oh, Spectre. great. Yeah. Spectre Ballistics. Yeah. Um, you've got, uh, Maple Ridge Armory. Yeah. And they're. Ultimatum. Know, yeah. Ultimatum. IBI. Yeah. IBI. You're, yeah. You know, PGW, you've got yep. Kdex, you've got all these amazing companies, right? And then like, um, the, the fastest response, you know, to the, the change in, you know, the OIC ban, you know, um, Maple Ridge Armory came out with the Mav, uh, the, sorry, the Renegade, which is right. the straight, right. I'm like, that's what this industry needs. It needs people like that. So that companies like us have something to pivot to mm-hmm. some different product. Right. And it's still a fantastic product. It's very well made. It has its purpose. Um, it may look like an AR, but. It's not, but it's super cool to go shoot a deer with it. Yeah. You know, you know, you're highlighting something that's just kind of clicking in the back of my head because I couldn't agree more. You're 100% right. That is what our market needs. 
And we have had people like that who pivot quite quickly and they will find, I don't want to say loopholes because that's how it's, some people will, will define, Hey, you're just working a loophole. Mm -hmm. No, it says it's legal. So I'm making it based on the framework that you've provided. For sure. Joe Delask. Yeah. And he would do that over and over again. I mean, he's done it with the, the 22 megs for the. Yeah. Uh, the tough 22. Right. And he would, did it with like pump action ARs back yeah. in the day. And he did I it remember with, those. Though. Remember those? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And he, over and over again, he's doing these pivoting, but the one thing in that whole piece of the puzzle, which I find, um, very difficult is the amount of love that a company will feel when they do that pivot. Everyone says, Hey, we love and let's get behind them. And how quickly everybody runs away. The second that things look a little bit scary. I have seen Joe drag through the mud yeah. on online forums for only doing things that are perfectly legal and that the firearms community wants. So the level of stick to itness and cooperation. That's a Canadian gun owner thing. Then that's, if there's one like thing that just drives me nuts mm -hmm. about Canadian gun owners, it's that exactly what you just described. It, we're our own worst enemy sometimes. Why? Why? I have no idea. You got a guy, like any company who's willing to, like, for example, what Joe is doing, he's, um, pushing the envelope mm -hmm. of, and taking people to task, essentially the people that say, you know, they say, oh, this is what, you know, the pump action AR. Oh no, that's not okay. Because it's, it's like, no, it is okay. Mm -hmm. And that's how, not just, you know, that, but other innovations are made that way. Right. Right. But yeah, I mean, gun owners, holy moly, man. Like, like they Kodiak. will turn, yeah. Like it's unbelievable. Like why the how vicious we can be to each other. And it's like a company like, yeah, example, like the, the Kodiak WK fiasco or whatever mm. happened there. Right. Like, are you guys kidding me? Like they brought to market a Canadian, 100% Canadian made semi-auto non-restricted firearm during like one of the worst firearms bans since like the assault ban in 72 or whatever, 70, whatever it yeah. was. And it's like, what is wrong with you people? Like the company like re reverse five years ago and you, the, there wasn't a world where there'd be a sub $1,500 Canadian made two, two, three that takes AR mags. That's non-restricted. Right. Doesn't, it doesn't exist. Right. You know, but there it is during one of the worst times and you know, people, people chose their sides of who they thought was right and wrong and right. You know, that's, uh, so we, we sell I, Kodiak by the way. Just yeah. And I love Kodiak. Yeah. Great guys. Awesome guys. Yeah. Um, they, they were one of the first, uh, people I met, um, in the industry that like I dealt with. Yeah. Um, way back the, the two brothers and yeah. just like the nicest guys on earth. Yeah. Funny story about them. Yeah. So, you know, their shop's right around the corner from us. Did oh, you know I did that? not know that. No. Okay. So they're. I get there, there was a guy in this building complex that we're in right now and he would sleep upstairs in his shop and he says, oh no, it's a caretaker suite, right? Mm -hmm. Even though I think actually this unit that we have here is one licensed one that to be caretaker. Anyways, I digress. Uh, I get this like blurry cell phone pictures from him and he's sending me pictures because I guess the two brothers had 
I rented a shop here and they're unloading a big old oh. van full of Russian military looking yeah. <laughs> crates and stuff. And, yeah. and he's sending me all these service, all these, uh, nervous, uh, pictures and, uh, saying, oh, I'm going to contact the police. I'm going to contact this. And I'm like, just hold on. This isn't a Steven Seagal movie. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just hold on a little bit. Right. Anyways, uh, I think he actually did end up contacting somebody in all of this mm-hmm. and, uh, I, uh, while he's trying to contact, I contacted one of the firearms officers. I said, is there a new business here? And he's like, nope, nope, there isn't. And I'm like, are you sure? And he comes back a little bit later. He's like, okay, hold on. I just double checked. Yes. New business in there. Anyway. So it didn't help these two brothers that they're taller than me. Yeah. I'm six, six. Yeah. And these two guys. monsters probably in trench coats. Yeah. They were. <laughs> yeah, they were leather jackets. Sure. Yeah. 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 yeah they, they look like just Russian mafia, yeah. but they are this, the salt of the earth. Oh, God. Yeah. Like, yeah. Probably some of my favorite people. Yeah, yeah. Agreed. Just awesome guys. Yeah. So again. Why? Why do we eat our own from a gun owner standpoint, but even more from the business standpoint, because the gun owners don't see all the drama that goes on by businesses. Mm-hmm. Once you reach a certain level in the firearms business industry, I think there's a general understanding and people realize we're in this together. Yeah, for sure. I think that, uh, it's a lot of like my nut, like this is my, my thing. And a lot of people f- in the industry, I guess you know, this is just my take on it, yeah. but like feel owed like huh. to some extent or another in a business transaction or, you know, however it goes. And, um, yeah, I just think that you get stuck in that rut, right? Like you just see the carrot in front of the nose and mm. you just kind of keep going after it when there's a much wider picture to be taken from it. You know, I've always, uh, I've looked at it and I've got a couple different theories on it. One from the business standpoint, there is a very low barrier of entry to start a firearms business. Mm -hmm. If you've got the cajones to do it. Exactly. Yeah. And once you get the checks and, and check marks on from the firearms program and so consequently that will bring in people who might not have as much business acumen as someone who gets into a higher barrier to, of entry uh, sure. position. Like if you're a, a lawyer, I'm sure everyone's going to have drama. They're all going to have their things, but uh, law firms, different practices, by the time they're operating, they probably have a general understanding of how everyone works together. Mm-hmm. That low barrier of entry and lack of sort of business acumen can create the, this is my nut, this is my thing yeah. and nobody else could have it. I can see exactly. that. Yeah. And then the other one that I see, uh, pretty big is with all the rules that are put on to firearms owners. And I think there's a level of wanting to have some sort of ownership or things within your own locus of control that firearms owners will start creating their own rules on top of the rules that are already there. Mm. This is where you see, like, they talk about range Nazis or they talk about. Uh, FUDs. Right. Or FUDs. And everyone says, well, you can't have this. You can only do this or whatever it might be because I, and I could be off base. Maybe the listeners no, will like, have other ideas. I could ideas. see that too. Like, uh, you know, like, oh, if ARs didn't exist, no one would even care about my little 22 pump act or whatever. Right. You know what I mean? We're, we're like beaten dogs, yeah. right? Always cowering, always sort of hiding in the corners saying, well, I can't advertise like this because people will get mad or I mm-hmm. can't talk openly the, about the fact that I own firearms. And this is where one of the places where the Silver Core podcast is, I'm able to bring on people who have a passion for what they do and share that passion with others because 
firearms, like you mentioned earlier, anybody listening to this already knows they're inanimate objects. Yeah. They're only as evil as the person who has it. Yes. A firearm in the hands of a person with ill intent is scary. Yeah. A firearm, but a person of ill intent is scary period. Yeah. I've been doing this for over a decade and the only time I've been hurt is stubbing my toe on a case of ammo. So. <laughs> yeah. Done that. <laughs> <laughs> so I think with the OIC that came out, like I'm sure given, uh, demographic and mm -hmm. business model, that must've hurt. Oh yeah. I mean, there's, there's nobody who thinks like we love tactical stuff. Like that's, right. that's kind of my thing. Like I love modern kind of style military firearms. That's what I enjoy the mm -hmm. most. Um, so yeah, like it was a big kick to the, 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 the bits, but, um, again, like. I don't know. It's hard. Like the OIC wasn't a surprise, right? Cause the OIC was talked about months sure. beforehand and then it was like, oh, he's going to do it on when, you know, what's her name from New Zealand comes and then it was mm. going to be like this, that, and the other thing. I remember so that, like, yeah. it's kind of like, you know, you, you kind of knew it was coming, but, um, I mean, I didn't think it would be to the extent of, I mean, what it was like, it was, I mean, like it was crazy. And it was just like, again, that was what I had mentioned. Like you, you scratch the top off it, there's a, a coffee company in there and, uh, a website and, you know, whatever else mm -hmm. that they put in there. Um, but yeah, we were able, well, first off we were in the pen, the, the middle of the pandemic. So stock was hard to get anyways. Mm -hmm. Um, and two, like we, um, saw it coming, we made our adjustments as far as inventory and stuff. And then, yeah, we were, we were one of the lucky ones that didn't, um, really get dinged too hard by it. We didn't mm -hmm. have a lot of inventory left. Um, um, so that was good for us. Um, but yeah, it was we, lucky. Yeah, it was, it was lucky. There was some businesses that got hit like super hard. Yes. And like we're talking in the hundreds of thousands of dollars of inventories, if not millions. Just sitting there now. Yeah. Well now it's all rusting and mm -hmm. you know, uh, you can't do anything with it. And like, that was the classic that, you know, oh, you can send them back to the States. No, you can't. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, you know, a typical don't think anything through liberal government, you know, oh, you just send them back down where they came from. God, you can't do that. You can't do that, man. But right. thanks for telling us we can. Um, <laughs> so yeah, like we were, we were really lucky in that regard. So the whole thing is, is to keep a, an ear down to, uh, what's going on in the industry and also like never assume a liberal government is not going to do the craziest shit you can imagine. Mm. Like, you know what I mean? Like, well, you, you know, it going into it. Yeah. The best predictor of future performance is past performance. Exactly. And every single time there is the same common trend. And yeah. I, I personally don't think they care one way or the other about firearms. It's no. got zero to do with the issue of firearms. No. It's to create opposition. Yeah, right? for sure. It's now conservatives like guns. We don't like guns. Rah, rah, rah. Conservatives are baby killers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right. Stand, you know, jump on your soapbox and do your thing. But, mm -hmm. uh, you know, hopefully this go around, he's got enough going for him. But. So that was the OIC. Yeah. But then COVID hit and I seen a quote in the paper, I think, uh, 200% was the thing that, that sticks out in that quote. Yeah. Yeah. Holy crow. Yeah. The, the COVID hit, for, uh, the COVID for us was the COVID I sound whatever. Um, yeah. yeah, it was insane for us. Like it was, it was bananas. So, um, the, when it first started, it was like our shelf was cleaned out in like every single gun I had, like guns that even sucked that 
like that have nothing to do with anything other than a fun gun. Like everything was, was selling all my ammo. I ran out of shotgun ammo, like immediately, uh, anything 12 gauge was gone. Um, yeah, it was crazy, Mm -hmm. crazy. Are you seeing a second wave of that kind of happen? Yeah. With the election coming up? With the election coming up for sure. And then everyone's still, you know, they don't know what's coming, you know, we're going into fall here and, you know, Delta variants, this Zulu variants, that whatever, right? Right. Who knows? But, um, it's definitely interesting. I've never worked in the industry. I've worked, oh, sorry. I've worked in the industry for a very long time. I've never seen, um, so many people who historically aren't gun owners coming in saying, I need self-defense. And I'm just like, not allowed to say that. <laughs> right? Like it's crazy. And people are like, I don't give, I don't care. Mm-hmm. Like that's why I'm buying it. And I went and got my gun license mm-hmm. and you know, I, I don't care. I just want a shotgun. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, okay, well, here you go. Like, you know, just, right. Yep. Yeah, like, cool. I, I'm down with that. Like it, yeah. it's a reality. The fact is, you know, it's a reality of life. Like it is what it is. People have to be able to defend themselves. Yeah, there I mean, is a legal framework in place and that like, allows for it. COVID kicked off there and everything was um, selling out everywhere and like, you didn't know how crazy people were going to get. Right. I mean, luckily, you know, everyone kept calm, cool and collective. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like that's the first time ever I've seen that like influx and the influx of like people who historically have no interest in firearms, just buying whatever went bang, mm-hmm. which I'm okay with. Yeah, exactly. Just int- introduce a brand new yeah. group of people. And a lot of them, it's interesting. A lot of them have come back and it's become a part of their life. It's actually a hobby. Mm-hmm. Like when it was originally just a, a worry purchase and a lot of people are like, oh, it's, you know, it's not that bad. And well, you know, it's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. And Which now is, they've got a garden and a bunch of toilet paper. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No <laughs> doubt. You know, one of those little, you know, little, uh, war gardens there where yeah. you get the little. <laughs> <laughs> and they uh, know how to make bread. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about the social media side. Oh, you yeah. took that social media from nothing. Yeah. Grown into something pretty, pretty spectacular. And I think, as you mentioned earlier, you said, you know, follow your dream and the social media part is a very big part of what we do. Yeah. What, what have you learned on that? And would you have any advice to anybody else who wants to kind of grow that their, their social media? Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, one soul social media is my baby a hundred percent. Like that, that I started it from nothing. I had a very clear plan of where I wanted it to go. Uh, I feel like it's a, it's pretty, I like where it's at now. Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest advice I would give people, um, and it's probably not popular advice would be if you get a bad review online or if someone has something negative to say about your company, one, do the research as to how the, what happened with the transaction, where the breakdown with the customer was, because mm-hmm. there's always two sides to every story, right? And like we've... I mean, it's retail and it's people's money and they get really hot headed and all that kind of stuff. But if you were in fact in the right, you tell, you go on to the bad Google review, you go on the bad Facebook review and be like, Hey man, you're being unreasonable and this is how it went down. And you, you just mm-hmm. lay it down. There. I've seen those on your. Uh... Yeah, man. And uh, you know, when we first started that, uh, you know, it wasn't popular with the ownership at the time of Wanstalls, but I said, Hey man, like we didn't do anything wrong here. And it's important people know that. And if you just put the information out there, you know, people take what they will from it, but at least now they have two sides of the, of the story. Mm-hmm. And the other big part of that too, where, where it's easy to, you know, sling mud back. Um, if you did screw up, own it, 
and just say, Hey man, I'm thousand percent. Yeah, man. And you just say, listen, I'm sorry that this is how this transaction went down. I apologize. I've made, you know, I've talked to the staff, make sure it doesn't happen again. Cause mm -hmm. some, there comes to a point in a conversation, like when there's a whole conversation that happens before a bad review or anything like that. Right? Mm -hmm. And, and I understand it as a customer, as a consumer product, you just, just the answer is, you know, piss off. I don't want to deal with you guys anymore. Here's your bad review and you move on, right? Whether mm -hmm. you're right or you're wrong, I understand that point where you just stop communicating with it, with mm -hmm. the, the shop. But it's important that the business and whoever's, you know, in whatever business you're doing, if you do screw up, own it, mm -hmm. learn from it and make sure the public knows that you did screw up, mm -hmm. right? So it's not just a bunch of reviews you, you know, throwing back and saying, hey, this is what actually happened and blah, blah, blah. You know, it does happen from time to time. And we are human. That's the other thing people need to understand is we are human. We're mm -hmm. not robots. We're not mad, you know, and we're not Walmart or Costco. Mm -hmm. Um, we don't, we don't have a 365 day return policy and you can bring it in covered in mud and blah, blah, blah. Right. We're, we're a privately owned business and you know, everyone has to be reasonable in the transaction. Yeah. That's one of the things that I see some businesses trying to do is they compete on price alone because they've got the Walmarts out there and they've yeah. got the, um, the Costco's. And I see that if, if that's your main motivating factor, you're, of course, there's going to be people who are always price shopping. Yeah. But especially in the world where you're trying to set up a relationship, because if you purchase a firearm, there's going to be ancillary purchases. There mm -hmm. might be holsters, there might be ammunition, there might be extra magazines, there's all these other things. And then it might break and you might need. So exactly. what you're in the business of is setting up relationships. That's and, what we look for. Yeah. Right. And th those relationships are worth something and there shouldn't customers shouldn't be looking at the bottom of the barrel because they know that that relationship is going to be worth what they paid for it. Yeah. I mean, that's a, an aspect a lot of people bring up with me that we're not always the cheapest. Sure. And I just tell them I'm not looking to be the cheapest. I don't. Good I, for you. I don't want to be, I'm not a one, one, the fact is I got to make a living. Right. That's just is what it is. Two, you know, classic line, you can, what is it? Speed service and quality, you can only pick two. Two, but not three. Exactly. Right. And there are some shops in Canada, even in the gun industry that like, you know, it's all about price and that's it. And that's fine. And for some people, that's a very important part. And Hey man, like I, I love saving a few bucks, mm -hmm. but I'm the kind of guy is when I, I go somewhere, I'm, I build a relationship with the people that I buy from. Right. And, that's the aspect of it. A lot of the times if, if people ask me to price match, I can usually do something, but you know, I'll, I'll put it out here for everyone to hear. I'm not always the cheapest and I don't, and that's intentional. Mm -hmm. It's not for any other reason. Um, the service and the quality we try to give our customers requires it sometimes. Uh, other times, you know what, hey, people just assume we're more expensive and we're not. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes we're a lot cheaper. Oh, you got great prices on a lot yeah. of things. Yeah. But a lot, you know, that's the one thing I have heard is people say that and I, you know, it is a, we're not looking to be a bargain bin shop. Mm -hmm. Um, bargain bin shops don't stick around. That's just. Well, you guys have been around for quite a long time, but yeah. you, you know, part of that process is you're training your clients, you're training your customers. Mm -hmm. You're, you're telling them how you would like to be treated and exactly. you're showing that through example of how you treat them. hundred percent. It's same in the reviews as well. I mean, you could 
try and placate all the people who are being wholly unreasonable. And all you're going to do is invite more people to be unreasonable exactly. and to copy that example. A hundred percent. And it's like, you know, once you let, once you bend over once, right. And, mm. and you know, a, do your, I don't want to say it like that, but like somebody who's just re blatantly being unreasonable for the sake of being unreasonable, mm. right. Like we're not interested or I'm not saying I'm not interested, but it's like, that's not a relationship that's going to last, mm -hmm. right? Cause it's just, you're just going to sk skip across and across and across until somebody, you know, bends over and says, okay, yeah, I'll do whatever you want. Please don't leave me a bad Google review. Mm. Um, but the reality of the fact is those are few and far between. They really are. Um, there are some places that, um, inspire that kind of mentality mm -hmm. and that, you know, there are some, a few places on the internet that that is somewhere that yeah, those gun people, nuts. yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll say it. <laughs> yeah. Canadian gun nuts. Damn. I, I think that's part of the, uh, the business model from, uh, uh, the fellow who runs it. Yeah. I mean, and that is a place and like, you know, I, I was on gun nuts. I started on gun nuts in 2007. Back then it was a, like a real resource for the Canadian firearms community. Mm -hmm. What I see, and I don't know if it, maybe I'm jaded because now I'm in the industry, but it's pretty, it, you go to that dealer forum, man, there's some crazy shit people are posting on there and it is like unbelievable. Like people won't even call the store to try to remedy the problem. They'll just immediately dump on them. But if you pay X amount of money, you can have all of that stuff removed. Yeah. And I, um, the uh, paranoid, the suspicious side of me has always leaned to whenever I see these things happening, cause I've dealt with them in the past. Mm. Uh, it seems like it's actually encouraged to crap on another business. Yeah. So that business will then in turn be encouraged to pay money to that, uh, media outlet to have that negative content removed. Yeah. Maybe I'm off base, but that's been my observation. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've been on CGN since it started. Um, and, uh, this year we decided to not renew mm. on there, um, for a multitude of reasons. One. The one we just talked about. Right. Um, two, I want to explore other advertising opportunities. Sure. Um, I've got some pretty cool ideas I want to do and that requires money and that website ain't cheap to be on. Uh, no, not at all. It is pretty pricey. Um, so yeah, this will be the first year we don't, won't renew on it. And you know what? I hope, um, I don't know, whatever, if it helps, it doesn't help. I just hope other dealers on there realize that it's not the be all end all center of the universe for firearms ownership. There's a lot of people who have no idea what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, and to like, you know, our customers know who we are and right. You know, we've been on that site for a very long time and, um, it's just time to check other stuff out. You know, I don't begrudge anybody from wanting to make a living regardless of the price that they want to charge for it mm -hmm. on. CGN, for example, it's really, really expensive. My concern about that platform was essentially how it was set up as a very negative environment, in my opinion, and particularly in a way that attacks businesses that are not sponsoring dealers. Mm -hmm. and, oh yeah. I see what you're saying. And th that feeds into an eat your own mentality mm -hmm. when it's got enough traction. I mean, when that one started up, it was just a bulletin board system mm -hmm. type thing back in the day. And, uh, 
Uh, they got booted off their other system and the owner, uh, there, he says, well, I know I'll just, I got the domain, I'll start it up. And he kind of got the thing rolling. Mm -hmm. Um, it's got traction. It's got a lot of people on there who are knowledgeable, but just like you are training your own customers, I believe they've been training their own user base in such a way that is rather toxic for the, uh, Canadian firearms culture. A hundred percent. And then there's other stuff too, like, um, there's been a shift on that site to some pretty weird shit being posted on there, mm -hmm. um, in regards to like, you know, conspiracy theory stuff and, you it's know. a little fringe lunatic. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what I mean? And like, that's kind of where, that was more of my portion of it was mm. like, I was just like, I was seeing kind of what's getting posted in the forums and I'm like, oh man, like it's. Doesn't speak to my it doesn't values. Speak, yeah. It doesn't speak to my values. I don't like, you know, it's just not what, I don't want to be associated with, you know, with crazy conspiracy theories and, you know, anti this, anti that. Mm. Um, there's some stuff that gets posted on there and it, it's just. It is what it is. It's, it's an internet, it's a free internet form. It is. And you know, my intention with a podcast is always to impart some positivity and I'm not mm. trying to impart negativity here on yeah. one particular. But it's a, it's a known thing though, right? Like it I didn't want known. to say it, you brought it up. Well, and the, the reason why I'd like to go further, why we've, I've wanted to go further into this anyways, is because I figure they have enough people on there. Maybe if enough people start talking and noticing. Mm -hmm. they will make a shift because there's a real valuable resource in every single forum to be able to 100%. really help businesses and yeah. help, help the industry as opposed to continuing that eat your own. Yeah, exactly. And then like, I probably, you know, like with that base that's on there, if they all got together, like, and the Holy mentality crow. and the mentality changed from, um, a bargain kind of who's selling what for the cheapest mm -hmm. and, um, you know, shitting on other businesses and even businesses that are on there that paid money on there, get crapped on all the time on there. Right. Right. And then the, and it's up to the business to like monitor, not just their forms, but the other forms of people could mm -hmm. be like, it's this whole thing. But anyways, um, it could be like one of the biggest resources, the Canadian firearms owners, right? Like if, uh, the tone of it just changed mm -hmm. and whatnot, um, it, it could be like a serious, serious place for people to get together and make some change. But yeah. I mean, at its current, what it is currently, I mean, yeah, it is what it is. Maybe, you know, I've seen others try to set up other forums, but no one's really kind of gotten the traction that that, that yeah. has. Enoch, if you're listening to this, give us a call. We'd be happy to uh, give you some ideas on, on ways that you can, uh, or give me a call. I don't want to speak for you, Matt. No, no. <laughs> give you some ideas on ways that you can really positively impact the firearms community. Yeah. And they're not big changes. No. Like it's not, it wouldn't be like an overhaul or anything like that. Like mm -hmm. it's just be some small stuff and yeah. it'd be, it'd be, it'd be back to being a epicenter of Canadian firearm ownership. Because it used to be that, right? Back right. in, in 04, it was gun guys just like posting reviews and look at this cool thing, look at that cool thing. And I just kind of feel like it's veered off to. You know, I had a, uh, actually in the process of, um, uh, selling it, but firearmscanada.com. Mm -hmm. So that, that's one that I've had for, geez, I don't know. It's been around since 01. Mm -hmm. And, uh, man, the amount of hate that I got on that one from, uh, from Gun Nuts in particular, cause it had a buy and sell and then Gun Nuts is like, oh, I'm going to set up a buy and sell. Um, it was, uh, was eye opening and, mm. um, 
where I've always taken the approach of how can I help out another business? Yeah. How can I, because maybe it's just laziness. Maybe it's just me being lazy. I don't want to do it all myself. Yeah. Right. I, I want to, I want to do it with other people who are like-minded yeah, totally. and who are and moving in the same direction. Yeah. Different ideas. Right. So anyways, um, so finding people to work at your, uh, your establishment there, your fine establishment. Yeah. That's probably really, really easy, right? <laughs> I don't care what anybody says. It is tough to find people these days, man. Holy crow. Yeah. And just, um, it was tough before the pandemic. Mm. After the pandemic, it's just, yeah, it's, it's super tough. Are people still being incentivized to basically not work? Like when, when COVID yeah, first why hit? would you, right? Like, yeah. You know, it's, and that's the thing is so many people are unemployed, um, and need to start working, but they have to start working at the bottom. But what's the point of working at the bottom mm. and not getting paid as much as if you were unemployed? Right. You know what I'm, you hear what I'm saying? Or totally. even if it's just a couple hundred extra bucks, but now you're working 40 hours a week. Right. What's the point? Yeah. Right. So, um, yeah, no, it's, it's always, you know, there's always, it's always tough because you get the point of entry of having a firearms license. Bang, mm -hmm. There's your first one. So there goes, call it 50% of the workforce or 60% right. of the workforce, whatever it is. Then you got to have somebody come in who realizes that, who treats it like, well, there's two things. There's the job description of, Hey man, it's a part-time thing. You get the discount. I need you on Saturdays and whatever other days. Right. right? That's cool. That's easy. Finding those people is tough. Then you got to, if you want to find somebody who's going to last long and grow with your business, that's even harder because the mentality of starting at the bottom and working your way up. Like mm -hmm. a, to me, it's second nature, but I've slowly learned over the years that is, it is not normal. And no, it is people aren't interested in it, right? Everyone wants to come in and be the boss. Mm -hmm. um, and even if like, you know what I mean? If you've got, if you went to college and all that kind of stuff, that doesn't help you in the firearms community. Well, they see the trappings of what success can bring, Yeah, but they don't see all the difficulties that you've had oh, to yeah. go through and continue to go through on a routine basis in order to have those trappings. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, um, we've been really lucky recently. We've got some really solid dudes. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. And like, you know, there's, there's a few gun shops in the lower mainland here and it's like, we're all trying to pull the same people essentially. Mm -hmm. Right. You know? Um, mm -hmm. so yeah, it, it can be tough. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, if you want to work in the firearms community, I will tell you right now that, uh, go get the job and start at the bottom, work your way up and you'll be there forever. So yeah. it's, it's super simple, man. Like gun shops, every gun shop I've worked at, um, you know, the guys who stick out, like become, you become essential to the business. Totally. We need you and you become part of the family. And that's the thing with gun shops. I don't know about other, I know the places I've worked. Um, I consider every one of my employees, like we're like a big family. Like mm -hmm. We hang out, we all go shooting together. We all, you know, go to the pub together. We, we all hang out. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's what it ends up being. Right. So it can be super cool. It can be just as fun as you think it's going to be. It just requires a little bit of work. Yeah. It is. There's a lot to learn. You guys are hiring right now, aren't you? Uh, no. Uh, we just filled a spot, uh, okay. but we might need somebody coming up here, but yeah. Right. Well, if you got, uh, if you have an interest to work in We're always looking for resumes, people. Yeah. Send them on in. Yeah, for sure. Check the website for details. Yeah, no doubt. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Anything that we haven't covered that we should? I don't know, man. I feel like we had a pretty, pretty rad chat. So. I, I do too. Yeah, man. Really it enjoyed it. It was a lot it. of fun. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for being on the Silver Podcast. Mm -hmm.